0: Hi friends! Welcome to Season 5 of the Activity Continues, a Paranormal Podcast. I'm Amy, the producer and host of this show, along with Megan and the other Amy. We are three soul friends who love to talk about the Dead Files TV show, along with other spooky and spooky adjacent things. We are just starting our third year, and it's going to be the best one yet.
1: Hi everyone, I'm Megan, our resident scaredy cat. (laughs) I love this stuff, but it absolutely
2: terrifies me. (laughs) I'm, it doesn't terrify me, me. neither. Most of the time. Hey, everyone! I'm the other A.B., sometimes referred to as AB, ABP, or AP, and I'm the voice of reason in the chaos, trying to keep these two spooky, goofy, lovely ladies in line. <laughs> We're creating a community of like-minded friends who love to discuss all things paranormal.
1: Along with our thoughts and tangents, you will also hear <laughs> listener stories and interviews with paranormal professionals, dead files clients. And people with personal paranormal experiences.
0: So far, we've spoken to... A witch. An intuitive. A
2: shaman. A UFO
0: abductee. And a handful of dead clients.
2: We're always looking for more cool and interesting people to talk to. So if you're interested, please reach out to... TheActivityContinues at gmail.com or fill out the guest intake form on our website. TheActivityContinues.com We'd love to hear from you. Come join us where... The activity activity continues.
1: Your I'll your bones.
0: Hello, friends, and welcome back to Goldstedt Land. We are your hosts, Amy, that's me, and Heather. And I'm Heather. Hi, everyone. Today, we're
3: going to be talking about what I've called gangster minds, just for the sake of completing this. I've just been putting gangster minds in all my notes and stuff. So it started when I, right around Christmas time, was getting my hair cut and my hairdresser who listens to the podcast asked what was new. And I told her about our season two single barrel edition. And she said, you know what I'd like to hear about? I'd like to hear about, you know, why gangsters commit crimes and what makes criminals do things. And I'm like, well, you know, I think we all want to know what that, how that works. And I'm certainly not a doctor. And I'm not pretending to be one in podcast land, but (laughs) I did find a little bit of information. Good.
1: Good.
0: That's exciting. So shout out to your hairdresser. Kate. Kate. Yep. She works at the chair salon in Lindale. She loves cats and she's awesome. All right. Okay. There's a plug for Kate. Maybe you should get a discount (laughs) on your next haircut. (laughs) Okay. I want to give a shout out to a couple of people who reached out to me in this past week or so with some info on our characters. I'm keeping this person anonymous, but he did give me permission to read this email to you. So it says, Hi, Amy. I must say that I've been obsessed with your podcast since discovering it a few days ago. It's very well done, and the amount of research you have done is amazing. Woo-hoo, thank Woo-hoo. you. Woo-hoo. I stumbled upon the podcast on Google. I was looking up something that I immediately forgot once I went down the Volstead Land podcast rabbit hole. <laughs> Gee, welcome to the club. <laughs> it's so easy. Uh, he said, My grandfather was a brother of Lillian and Blanche. And as you remember, Lillian is Isidore Fergie's wife. So he says, I have memories of my great grandmother as as well as a few memories of visits by the Blumenfields and Fogels, both in Alabama and at my grandparents' other home in Florida. The Fogels are Blanche and Morris, was Lillian's sister and her husband. Since discovering your podcast, I have been digging through boxes of old photos from my mom's house. I was hoping to find a photo or two of Uncle Fergie, but I was unsuccessful. I know photos existed, but I have no clue where they ended up. I was always told Fergie was, quote-unquote, connected to the mob, but it was not until about 10 years ago that I was on a site trip to Minneapolis that I found out he was not just connected, but pretty much the boss. The Minneapolis Chamber took us on a city tour that included a tour of the Mill City Museum. As I watched the film on Minneapolis history, I thought to myself, that man looks a lot like Uncle Fergie. (laughs) He said, I didn't remember the name Kid Can, but when they said he also went by several aliases, including Fergie, I almost fell out of my chair. I called my mom and and said, you never told me he was the boss. She said, well, don't tell anyone that. No one needs to know we're related to him. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And then he attached uh, three files. One is an obituary from his great-grandmother's funeral. And he says he thinks that he remembers Blanche and Lillian being there. But uh, he doesn't remember if that was one of the few times that he actually saw Fergie. I won't post that one because it has her name on it. And I don't want people to be able to, you know, track it back and figure out who this person is. But Then another file was an, an envelope from the Fogels. It has the return address of 5901 Oakland Avenue. And he was wondering, they must have lived across the street from Fergie when he was at 5900 Oakland Avenue. And I think I might be wrong. And listeners, please, if I'm wrong, correct me. I think that he, he owned both of those houses. I think he had both of those houses built. And I think the 5900 was for him. And then the 5901 was to be for his mother. But I don't think she ever moved in. I think that Lily and Sister Blanche And her husband, Morris, moved in there. I think. I could be wrong. And then he sent another photo of an RSVP of a 50th celebration for the Alabama Railroad that his grandfather owned at the time. So I can post those last two things. And then he says, the email continues. One of the stories from my mom was that Fergie wanted to invest in my granddad's business in the 40s or 50s, and my dad talked him out of it. My parents were very smart and knew it was Fergie's great plan to launder money in Alabama. Who would think to look there? <laughs> <laughs> My sister, who's older than me, has many more memories. She went to Hawaii in the late 50s by way of Minneapolis with our grandparents, Lil, Blanche, and her daughters. She was the same age as one of Blanche's two daughters. She He so we have no connection with them anymore. That's all I have for now. I'm still searching for more. So... I replied back to him and thanked him for all this, and he gave me permission to read that. And he's gonna see if he can find anything else. Awesome, I know. So then I was on the cesspool known as next door, yeah. and somebody brought up that the current light rail system is being reevaluated and audited, reassessed, and everything. And someone's like, "Oh, how much money are we gonna have to pour pour into that to get that stupid project finished?" And then, of course, somebody brought up the whole transit scandal from. The 50s. And so this person, I think it's a male, said, I wonder how much it cost to pull up the streetcar lines we ha- already had out to Stillwater and Minnetonka in the 50s. Maybe not a great idea to have done that. I think the governor got impeached for kickbacks related to s- selling the steel from the tracks at the time. Isidore someone was involved, as well as some Lansky fellow from Chicago. <laughs> Isidore someone? <laughs> Isidore someone, not a Lansky fellow. So of course I replied. And I'm like, oh, if you're interested, I happen to have a podcast. And he then, he commented back to me on Nextdoor and said, I think you might need me on your podcast. Really? And th- I didn't read that note until after he'd sent me a, a private message. And he said that he's been researching these guys for a long time. Isidore and uh, Doc Ames, which we haven't really talked much about Doc Ames. That was early on. That was in the early 1900s. He's basically the one that began the corruption of the police in in oh, Minneapolis. Oh, to talk to that guy? Yeah. Oh, that'll be yeah, fun. Yeah. So he knows a lot about games. And he mentioned a couple other people too. And then, so I, you know, I said, yeah, we we could have you on the show. I think it'd be cool. We exchanged some chit chat about these guys. And then he dropped something like how Izzy was Meyer Lansky's lover and they retired together.
3: Oh my goodness. So as you know, I am looking into Meyer Lansky and I, I've, read a book and I've watched a couple movies and I'm gathering more information. I have not heard that one. but I am very intrigued. (laughs) I know.
0: I had not heard that either. And I told him, I was like, what? Wait, lover? Because what I had heard, like the gossipy scuttlebutt I heard was that, yeah, he did do work with with Isidore, but that Lansky really preferred, I think it's Yiddy, might have been Harry, but he preferred one of his brothers. I think it's Yiddy. Okay, that everybody worked, liked. They Yitty. worked together. Yeah, on everybody a few liked Yiddy. He was a good guy. So I was like, I okay, and I mean, I'm not saying that Izzy couldn't have been bisexual, but he certainly liked the ladies, right? Yes. And I don't know anything about him liking men. Maybe he did, but I also have never heard anything about Myalansky being. I want to know more about this. Yes. Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe it's I just love a, a rumor. scandal. I know, right? <laughs> So exciting. So yeah, put that in your file cabinet All for, right. <laughs> for when you get close to that. All right. And then we are also super close to having 2,000 downloads. 2,000. All right. Well, let's, uh, it's pretty exciting. let's get a few more. Yeah. So I'm hoping that by the time this comes out, we will have 2,000. I think we're, we have like 1,965 or something like that. So we're pretty close. I mean, I could go download it 25 times, but I'm not going to do that. <laughs> so is there is there anything else you can think of that we should go over or chat about? I don't think so. I did want to, because I'm having a Manhattan right now, so
3: it's a brandy Manhattan, and it has sweet vermouth and a little bit of cherry juice and some bitters, and I, I always think of this haiku I wrote back when I used to travel for work, and it goes a little something like this. I travel for work. My favorite location, Brandy Manhattan
0: nice cheers cheers (laughs) here we can actually cheers (laughs) yeah we're recording a little different today we usually record over zoom even though heather's at my house and i'm in my office slash podcast studio and she is out in the living room area at sitting up at the bar and has a laptop up there a microphone and everything but we decided that we wanted to, or I decided, I guess, <laughs> that I wanted to try doing this right next to each other like we did once before. And it was really fun right. to do it that way. It was just that our voices overlapped a bit in each other's microphones. And so it was really hard to edit. But I decided that, fuck it, we'll just do it this way. And if it works, it works. And if it doesn't, then I just won't be able to edit out certain things and manipulate the data like I usually do to make it make sense. So that's why uh, we're a little different. And I am recording this on Zoom, but I don't know that we'll ever use it. As you listeners know, this season we are trading off researching and presenting stories to each other and to you. Our first episode was on Machine Gun Kelly and his wife, Catherine, and Heather presented that. And then episode two, I told you all about Marilyn Tollifson, the woman who eventually basically took down Kid Can. And I just want to say that I really liked her. I thought she was a firecracker and I would have loved to have met her in real life and would love to talk to any of her descendants if they happen to be, if there happen to be any and if they're still around and, you know, hit us up if you, if you are one of those. And cause she sounded pretty interesting. So this week it's Heather's turn again, and she's been working hard on putting together this segment for us. So with that.
3: So we can't really talk about the mind of a gangster without determining and defining what a gangster is, right? Okay. So the term gang is generally used to describe a criminal organization and the term gangster is the character who participates in the organization, Okay. obviously. So the Britannica, this is from the Britannica Dictionary. This is the britannica dictionary's definition of a gang a gang also called a street gang or youth gang is a group of persons usually youths who share a common identity and who generally engage in criminal behavior in contrast to the criminal behavior of other youths the activities of gangs are characterized by some level of organization and community There is no consensus on the exact definition of a gang, however. Scholars have debated whether the definition should expressly include criminal involvement. Some gangs, but not all, have strong leadership, formalized rules, and extensive use of common identifying symbols. Many gangs associate themselves with a particular geographic area or a type of crime, and some use graffiti as a form of nonverbal communication. Now, the U.S. Department of Justice's definition of gang includes that an associate it is an association of three or more individuals whose members collectively identify themselves by adopting a group identity, which they use to create an atmosphere of fear and intimidation. And the group's purpose is to engage in criminal activity. So the Department of Justice says that To be a gang, there's criminal activity involved, but a broader definition does not necessarily involve criminal activity. A gang can be a relatively small group of people, like, for example, the Jesse James gang. That gang ended when its leader died in 1882. Did you know how many people were in that gang? No, but it was a small, smaller, low-level gang, but it did infiltrate. Okay. Or gang can be a larger group with a more formal organization that does survive the death of its leader. And an example of that, of course, would be the mafia, drug cartels, even motorcycle outlaw gangs. They have the ability to take on transactions and negotiations and do things that an individual could not. Okay. So it's like the power of numbers. Sure.
0: And there's always somebody like that's a secondhand. That's right. there to pick up if the if something happens to the leader, right?
3: Right. There's a whole hierarchy yeah. of leadership. So the term organized crime does have gangsters in it, but they're not synonymous. So a gang and organized crime are not the same thing. A small street gang that engages in sporadic low-level crime is not the same as an organization that co- can coordinate drug trafficking in other countries. And I was thinking that like in Minneapolis right now, there's all these carjackings that are happening. Yes. And it's been really prolific yes. since probably the murder of George Floyd right. at the beginning of the pandemic. Right. And they've said that, you know, it's, it's often kids or younger people who are high carjacking these cars, mm-hmm. sometimes with guns, sometimes not. And there's been speculation that there's a leader mm-hmm. who's like sending these kids onto the streets to do that. Sure. So that that would be considered a gang. but. It's certainly not organized crime because that gang isn't able to go into other states and do this with the kind of organization that would be necessary. Yeah, yeah. So thinking about the history of gangs in the United States, street gangs became popular right after the American Revolution in the 1800s. But going back to the 17th century was like in London. Wow. Was where there became an organized criminal underground that was doing pickpocketing oh, sure. and yeah. prostitution okay. and all kinds of yeah. stuff. And I never
0: really thought of that as being gangs, right. during the but...
3: Victorian era, yeah. there was there was a huge underground criminal activity going on in London. Interesting. And then it started on the East Coast in the United States, like I said, right after the American Revolution in the middle of the nineteenth century. And at that time, the emergence of gangs was largely attributed to the vast rural population and immigrants in those urban areas. The first street gang in the United States was called the Forty Thieves, and that was in New York City in the 1820s. And then after that, gangs emerged in the Midwest in the late 19th and early 20th century in Chicago, Immigrant groups, such as Polish and Italian, formed the core membership of Chicago gangs, and only 1% of gangs at that time were Black. And it was during this period in Chicago that gangs connected themselves to political leaders. And in the 1920s, several gangs had grown to the point of becoming organized crime groups, such as the Chicago Outfit under the leadership of Al Capone. Gang warfare was common at this time. Street gang activity alongside these larger criminal organizations. It's estimated that by the late 1920s, early 1930s, there were 25,000 gang members in Chicago with 1,300 specific gangs. And that was in the 1920s and 30s. That's
0: crazy.
3: And then Los Angeles was kind of, came a little bit later, moving to the West Coast. Their initial gangs weren't formed until the early 1900s, 1920s, and they were known specifically as boy gangs. These were typically formed from uh, Mexican immigrants. Upon arriving to the United States as adolescents, they came together to form groups and bonds. And this proliferated, proliferated In the 1930s and 40s, as adolescents came together to protect themselves against conflict with the police. And that was the reasoning for them to form these gangs. And in Los Angeles, as we even know in recent history, territory was a big thing at the time, even more so than the East Coast and the Chicago gangs. Graffiti became an important part of marking territory that was controlled by gangs. Neighborhood identity and gang identity merged. And the gangs of the West were different in ethnic makeup. They were unique in that, unlike gangs in the Midwest and Northeast, they did not grow out of social problems such as poverty, but ethnic segregation and alienation.
0: Unleash the power of stories, anywhere, anytime, with Audible. Immerse yourself in gripping stories, insightful knowledge, and captivating characters— Anytime, anywhere. Audible is your library on the go. With hundreds of thousands of titles across every genre, there's a world of reading waiting for your ears. Listen while you cook, clean, or commute. Free your eyes to conquer your day, all while feeding your mind. Start your 30-day free trial today and discover the joy of listening. Go to audibletrial.com T-A-C. That stands for The Activity Continues. With your free 30-day trial, you get one credit, two credits if you're a Prime member, good for any premium selection titles you like, yours to keep. You get the Audible Plus catalog of podcasts, audiobooks, guided wellness, and Audible originals. Listen all you want, no credits needed. Again, that is audibletrial.com T-A-C. If you're a regular listener, you know we love
2: our Three Spirit drinks.
1: They are the non alcoholic spirit drinks that are taking the world by storm.
2: Three Spirit is a range of three distinct drinks, each with its own unique flavor and effect.
1: The Livener is a
2: refreshing and invigorating drink that is perfect for starting your day or night. The Social Elixir is a smooth and sophisticated drink that's perfect for sharing with friends. And
1: the nightcap is a calming and relaxing drink that's perfect for winding down before bed.
0: All three drinks are made with plant-based ingredients and are free from alcohol, gluten, and sugar. They're also vegan and ethically
1: sourced. So whether you're looking for a delicious and refreshing drink to enjoy on its own or a sophisticated non-alcoholic alternative to cocktails, Three Spirit is the perfect choice for you.
2: Try 3Spirit today and discover the difference. Visit us.3spiritdrinks.com and use the promo code The Activity Continues for 15% off your entire order.
1: Cheers! Cheers. That was the best
3: year. one yet. So, I have a few examples of different kinds of gangs. We have street gangs, they can be locally or nationally based. They include gangs such as the Latin Kings, Bloods, Crips. You've heard of some of those, perhaps. They may be often involved in drug selling, street-level drug trafficking of cocaine, marijuana, Mm
1: -hmm.
3: meth. Um, They may engage in violence, including murder, in order to maintain control of their territory. Mm -hmm. So that's street gangs. Organized crime groups often have a national or ethnic base, and they include gangs, members in such ethnic groups as Italian, Russian, Polish, and, of course, the Jewish mafia. Mm-hmm. These mobs operate a variety of criminal activity well beyond street-level drug trade. They also have a significant presence in legitimate business and labor unions mm, yep. and inside government offices. Yep. So that's that. Um, Helps to have someone on the inside, of course. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's outlaw motorcycle gangs, which I haven't really thought much about, but there is criminal activity with some of those groups. Not all of them, but they can be associated with drug trafficking, weapons trafficking, as well as invi- in in as well as violent crime. Okay. <laughs> These groups might involve the outlaws, Hells Angels, and they occasionally involve criminal activity, and they have thousands of members in numbers of countries across the world. Mm -hmm. Now, it is interesting to note that national gang statistics show that only 2% of all gangs are female only, and the National Gang Center reports that only about 10% of all gang members are female. And
0: that's today. That's today. Okay. Yep. But back in the day, like in the time we were originally talking about, was there really much weren't any lower, women that much, were much lower. in the yeah. gang. Right? right. They were like the wives. And so. Right.
3: Who were just by association. Yeah. yeah. So now we can discuss a little bit about what goes on in the mind of the gangster. Like I said, I'm not a doctor. <laughs> I got a lot of this information from this really cool. University, Maryville University in Mm -hmm. St. Louis, Missouri. I now want to become a forensic psychologist. Oh, my God. Wouldn't that be fun? They offer a degree program in that. And I happened upon their website Mm -hmm. and they have so many resources on the website. I read articles about all kinds of things that have nothing to do with this episode of the podcast. (laughs) But I went down, talk about going down a rabbit Rabbit hole. hole. (laughs) I was reading about Al Capone and they had all these links but they did talk about the different biological, psychological and sociological factors mm-hmm. that go into who, what becomes a, what can make a criminal or what what's going on in the mind of a criminal. But there is one thing that is widely agreed upon that the diagnosis for a career criminal, gangster or mobster, would be antisocial personality disorder. That is actually the only criminal diagnosis in the DSM-5 manual. Ooh. And the traits of a person with antisocial personality disorder may include disregard for right and wrong, persistent lying or deceit to exploit others, being callous, cynical and disrespectful to others, using charm or wit to manipulate others for personal gain or personal pleasure. Mm -hmm. I feel like we know some people with this. I feel
0: like we do. (laughs) Yeah. I think we all probably do, I think, right? Yeah. I think our listeners probably do as
3: yeah. well. <laughs> <laughs> Another definition involves states that antisocial personality disorder is a mental condition in which a person has a long term pattern of manipulating, exploiting, or violating the rights of others. The behavior is often criminal. The causes are unknown, but research finds that both genes and the environment contribute. Factors include, for example, child abuse and or having an antisocial or alcoholic parent. And it's noted that considerably more men than women have this disorder.
1: Mm -hmm.
3: According to an article titled 10 Incredible Facts About the Criminal Brain, brain tumors could also influence the probability of someone having antisocial personality disorder. An example of this is a specific instance, Charles Whitman, was a man who murdered his mother, wife, and 14 other people at the University of Texas. And according to Biography.com, the police autopsy reported that he had a brain tumor. Ooh. So, like I said, I got the following information mostly from Maryville University. So are Maryville. you going to sign edu. up
0: now and, and take this it's, class? It's
3: kind of, this course? It's kind of <laughs> tempting. <laughs> I mean, it's never too late to change your career. <laughs> I... I just don't know if i I want to change it to this that level. yeah. Because <laughs> I think I'd have to be become a doctor, and that just oh, seems like a lot of work and maybe a lot that of does money. Seem like a lot of work
0: yeah, and a lot of money. Yeah.
3: So individuals engaging in criminal behavior are typically influenced by a combination of biological, psychological, and social factors. Looking at the biological factors, individuals exhibiting antisocial behavior may have an underdeveloped or damaged prefrontal cortex, Mm -hmm. which is the reasoning part of the brain responsible for self-control. The prefrontal cortex doesn't fully develop until the mid-20s, so that explains some juvenile delinquent behavior. Mm -hmm. Another part of the brain that factors into criminal behavior is the amygdala. Mm -hmm. The amygdala region of the brain is primarily associated with emotional processes it gets its name from the greek amygdale which refers to almond for the shape of the brain oh the amygdala is located in the medial temporal lobe in the front of the hippocampus and it is involved in fear aggression and social interaction the most in-depth research on the subject has been done by dr adrian rain at the University of Pennsylvania. He's been studying this since the 1980s oh. and he analyzes the brains of vicious criminals and he looks for the telltale signs of a killer. In 1994, Rain conducted a PET scan study of 41 convicted killers and he paired them with a normal control group. Mm-hmm. And the study found major differences in the prefrontal cortex of murderers. Mm-hmm the area of the brain associated with controlling impulses. The ventromedial prefrontal cortex is up to 11% smaller and less active in habitual offenders. In later research, Rain also found that criminal brains often had an overactive amygdala. Also contributing factors to what goes on in the brains of criminals would be imbalanced levels of testosterone, dopamine, and serotonin. And studies have also shown that criminals with low activity in the anterior cingulate have higher risks of reoffending. Moving on to sociological theories, there are three examples of theories that factor or influence the drive that individuals have to commit crime. Three examples are the Chicago School Theory. This is about poor housing, poor health, socioeconomic disadvantage and transient populations suggests that crime was influenced by neighborhood dynamics rather than individuals and their actions Hmm. the second theory is the strain theory that cultural goals and social structures pressure individuals to commit crimes and then we have the subculture theory rejecting the middle class cultural goals Youths from the lower class build their own subculture system that may involve engaging in delinquent activities. Psychological theories. A key psychological theory is behavioral theory, which postulates that committing a crime is a learned response to situations. There's also cognitive theory, which explores how individuals solve problems through moral development and information processing. These psychological theories look at personality traits like introversion, neuroticism, agreeableness, openness, conscientiousness, and explore those while examining uh, criminal behavior. Mm -hmm. They also examine the concept of the psychopathic personality, where an individual may engage in criminal thrill-seeking behavior to compensate for low arousal levels. Mm. Studies indicate that personality traits of hostility, narcissism, and impulsivity correlate with criminal and delinquent
0: behavior. Mm-hmm. I was going to say narcissism's got to narcissism, be in there. Narcissism, yeah. Learned all everything
3: I know about narcissism I oh. learned on TikTok. <laughs> uh, oh, God, yeah. Uh. <laughs> so I don't know why Kid Can, a.k.a. Isadora Blumenfeld, a.k.a. Izzy, <laughs> or any of his cohorts committed crimes. He certainly was charming. We know Mm -hmm. that. Just ask the ladies. Right, right. And the children who were recipients of his generosity at Halloween. Exactly. Yep. He's clearly manipulative. Yep. Um, He came from, he was forced to be kind of scrappy in his Mm -hmm. childhood. He went to work as a newspaper boy at a young age and the newspaper game and the Minneapolis in the early 1900s was rough out yeah. there for a kid. Yeah, He had to fight for his spot on the street and like that led tips. to, you know, running errands for pimps and so on and so on and so on. So he certainly wasn't set up for living the life of the straight
0: and narrow. Right. Well, and he was also an immigrant and his whole family, you know, like his parents, I don't think spoke English when they got here. Right. And, it, and he was just a little one. So I'm sure he spoke English fine. But also being Jewish, he was not allowed to have a regular job like white people were, what they considered white people. So like, I don't think his dad ever had like, I don't think his dad was employed by somebody. I think his dad was a peddler and sold stuff on the street. And, you know, he didn't work for anyone. He didn't speak English. He was an immigrant and he was a Jew. So he couldn't get a job. So you have to figure out other ways to make money. If, you got to figure if, it out other ways. Yeah, if the man's not going to let you, you figure it out on your own.
3: Or he could have just had an overactive amygdala. There
0: you go. <laughs> <laughs> he probably did have all of that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, cool. That's what I got. Great. Thank you. That was excellent. That was fun. All that talk about the different parts of the brain and the prefrontal cortex and all that reminds me when the pandemic started, I started taking courses on Coursera because they were all free Mm -hmm. for a while. And I took a bunch of psychology courses and there was a bunch of them that talked about the brain and the different pieces of the brain and why people act the way they do. And, and some of that stuff that you mentioned, like criminals, the um, amygdala or whatever is smaller than other people's and, and all that kind of stuff. So if you're interested in that, those courses on Coursera are really good, really interesting. And I majored in psychology in college. So I, a lot of this stuff like came back to me, but also a lot of the research has improved and there's been so many more studies done and things are different, you know, than what I was taught in the 80s. So fascinating to me. It's still so fascinating. So. Yes. Cool, cool. All right. All right. Well, thank you and thank you people for listening. I look over as if there's people over there. Hi. Hi. Thanks. <laughs> thanks for listening. As I'm waving <laughs> two ears. <laughs> and we'll hope you'll join us next time. I believe the next episode is going to be us, Heather and I both speaking with a friend of ours who knows a lot about the Mann Act and that is the white slavery from the white slavery trial. The that the Man act is the act that he what's the word? I don't have words. The one that he violated.
3: He violated The Act the man that act. he
0: violated was the man act, the white slavery trial. She did the artwork for that episode. So when I gave her the specifics and told her, you know, we're talking about Marilyn Tullipson, it's the MAN Act, she goes, Oh, I know all about the Man Act. And so I invited her to come on and discuss that with us and share with you guys. And so I think that's gonna be the next episode. And then then I guess after that, it'll be my turn to present something. And I haven't decided yet what I'm going to do. Okay. <laughs> but I will probably talk to one of these uh, sources and see what they've got for me. Excellent. I yeah. mean, Doc Ames would be really interesting. Off the top of my head, what I remember about him is that uh, he was a doctor. And then he took over as the mm, mayor, I believe, of Minneapolis and immediately fired the entire police department and replaced him with all of his friends who were not police officers and they were not good people. And, and then it just went to shit from there. So that's what I remember about what i read about him. Now I could be wrong about some of that, but I'm pretty sure that's mostly what it is. He put like his brother-in-law or something as that police chief. They're the head of the police. So he'd be interesting. I also am really interested in Archie Carey, the, the guy who was the lawyer for all of the criminals. oh yeah, He was always They're- their lawyer. And he seemed pretty fascinating too. So that, or maybe the Perkanskys, the Perkansky slash Perkins. And we have to get into a certain restaurant. <gasps> That's right. Okay. So <laughs> I used to work at the Minneapolis club, which is a private social club, downtown Minneapolis. And first of all, I loved that job. I loved working there. I love that club. It... Uh, It was great. I loved it. I lost my job because of the pandemic, and then they changed everything. I was the administrative assistant to the executive, uh, the general manager's assistant. And they don't even have that role anymore. So trust me, I begged and pleaded to get back in there, and I haven't been able to do that so far. But I do follow them on Instagram and Facebook and all that. So, And I still have some friends who work there and i learned through instagram i believe that they are changing the identity of the one of the restaurants anyway i think it's the what used to be the grill into charlie's cafe exceptionnel and so i am going to try and finagle an invite for heather and i to go
3: and eat the famous and potato, eat, salad. Yes, potato salad and then we want to do kind of a deep dive into yes. everything we can find out about that restaurant, was yes, and the, and the
0: owners and all that because all that yeah. was really interesting. Oh, and then I forgot all about that other guy, the guy that his name was Charlie, also, but it wasn't from Charlie's Cafe. Who he was part of a advertising agency, and the other guy that was in the advertising agency died mysteriously, and then he took over. And oh yeah, oh, I can't goodness. remember his name, Charlie something. All right, Charlie Ward. Charlie Ward. I think it was Charles Ward. Okay. Oh, I could be wrong. There's so many Charlies. There really are. There's like five Charlies that all have different interesting stories. But anyway, so those are some options. I'm not sure yet what I'll do, but it'll be one of those. And so we'll see you next time. All right. All right. Hi, everyone. Amy here. While editing this last episode, I realized that there are a few things I thought I should clear up. I had mentioned Doc Ames and his contribution to the corruption of the Minneapolis Police Department. I just have some corrections on this. I had said that he was mayor in the early 1900s, and it was actually earlier, in the late 1860s. Also, I had said that he replaced the entire police department with his cronies, but it was only half of the department. Also, it was his brother, not brother-in-law, that he appointed as police chief. The Charlie I was trying to remember is indeed Charles Ward. He worked at Brown and Bigelow when Herbert Bigelow died in 1933. It's an interesting story. You can check out our blog post with all the sources and links listed there. A link to that will be in the show notes. I think that's it. Please reach out if you have any suggestions for stories we should cover in upcoming episodes. Thanks for listening and don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. Bolstead Land is produced by me, Amy, at Collected Sounds Media, and is part of the Independent Collected Sounds Podcast Network. Okie doke.